like you to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, one of the most familiar portions of Scripture. And because of that, sometimes preachers kind of say, well, I can't preach on the Sermon on the Mount. I can't preach on uh, John 3.16. I can't preach on the parable of the sower. Everybody knows this, and it's like too familiar. And Psalm 23 can sometimes be neglected. But today, I really do believe, though this teaching is very familiar, God is going to visit us in a fresh way and speak to us freshly from it. So, shall we read it? Read it together. It'll be on the New King James Version on the screen, but if you prefer your own version, read it, whatever version you've got. If you're reading from the Amplified Version, we'll wait for you to catch up with the rest of us. Okay, let's all read it out loud together, whatever version you choose, all together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Yeah, okay, go ahead then. I read recently that as long ago as 10 years, somebody did a study on, this, on Psalm 23, and they did some research on the internet, and they calculated, it's over 10 years ago now, so maybe many more, they calculated that at that time there were four million hits on the internet. Four million. This tells us that this psalm is perhaps one of the most popular, most read, most memorized, most quoted, and even most sung portions of Scripture. People of all ages and generations, situations and circumstances have turned to Psalm 23 for comfort assurance and guidance. It is a funeral favorite, and we can understand that it brings great comfort to loved ones at the time of their loss. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Surely, verse 6, surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the psalm definitely strengthens people in times of trouble. It is also a foundation of the New Testament teaching concerning who Jesus is as the good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for his sheep 
the one who gives abundant life to all who follow him. And also it's a picture of the New Testament church, which is referred to as the flock of God with under-shepherds and overseers extending the pastoral care and discipline and nurture of the great shepherd, that is Jesus Christ himself. And when we turn to this, the first thing we realize, it's intensely personal. We'll see why perhaps it was personal to David for a moment, but I want to spend a moment sharing with you how important it is to personalize the Psalms and to personalize the promises of Scripture. Because when you personalize it, you are extending the hand of faith and taking something for your life and applying it for your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The psalm undoubtedly came out of David's personal experience. We all know that he, as a young man, was a shepherd. That was his job, guarding his father's flocks just on the hills of uh, Judean hills there in Bethlehem, and uh, he experienced himself the life of a shepherd, and he was faithful, faithful with the few sheep that he had, risked his very life, delivered them, fed them, and possibly during those long shepherd's evenings by the fire, he would take out his, his well, I suppose it would be the equivalent of a guitar back in those days, and play songs to the Lord and minister to the Lord. And who knows how many of the psalms that we know today come back from those, that time of inspiration, in that time of seclusion. Let me say this. If you are in a time of seclusion and you don't think many eyes are on you, you're not in the public eye, people don't even know who you are, they've forgotten about you. Let me tell you, maybe they haven't even discovered you yet, let alone forgotten you. David was in that position. He didn't waste one evening, one moment of his time. He learned how to lavish his love on God, his heavenly Father. He learned how to worship and to praise God, and out of that flows so many of our worship songs even today. Some Bible scholars suggest that David wrote this at a specific time in his life. They can't pinpoint it. Some have suggested it was uh, during his time when he was running away from Saul. And when you go through difficult times and everything is against you, you have enemies everywhere, even the people who should be your friends are your enemies. Sometimes you can have friends which make enemies redundant in your life, if you ever know what I'm talking about. And anyway, he, he, he maybe during this time was forced to depend on God alone. I love it. I love it. If God takes away every prop, every, everything that holds us up and we are invisibly supported by the hand of God, we get to know him so much better. Some think perhaps it was during crises times in his kingship. For example, during the rebellion of his own son Absalom. And what a dreadful, dreadful experience was it for David when his son finally lost his life, although he deserved to do so because he had preached rebellion against the king, King David himself. Some scholars say, actually, this is a psalm that comes late on in David's life. When he was able to look back at his experience and say, do you know 
goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. And it shall continue. God has never let me down. He is faithful. You know, he has been my shepherd. Well, whatever the particular experience was that caused David to write this, we know it came very much out of his own experience. And with all the Psalms, not only do we read beauty and poetry, but it's poetic truth, enduring truth placed in poetic form. So we look here not just for some nice poetry or something aesthetic, or we look for truth. It's revelation. And so we have to lay hold of revelation. And that's why we must personalize it. The revelation is the Lord is your shepherd. So why don't we make this declaration together in the words of verse 1 all together, but personalize it. I mean, really mean it. So we say together, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a wonderful way of handling scripture. Not empty repetition, not just reciting and rehearsing a portion of scripture, but truly personalizing it, Put it, putting yourself right there in that verse and believing God will fulfill the words that you're declaring. Now, when David makes this declaration, he is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, which means God is two things to me. God is, number one, my Lord, and number two, my shepherd. All the shepherdly blessings that we're going to look at today flow from the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. So my teaching today is part of the series, Jesus is Lord. I want you to examine the Lordship of Jesus and experience the Lordship of Jesus in an entirely new light, often preachers preach the lordship of Jesus as a, with a kind of stick to beat people into submission. Jesus is Lord. You better obey him. But here we have something far more enticing. Because we have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, we are now those who receive his shepherdly ministry. Make Jesus Lord and you'll discover him to be your shepherd in all circumstances. When David declared that God is his Lord, he was saying God is the Lord of all. The eternal, uncreated God, the God who created everything, he himself not created, but the God who made everything, the God who is the supreme governor of the universe, the God who is the Lord of ultimate reality, the God who knows every circumstance of your life and holds every circumstance in your life, of your life in his hand. Doesn't mean to say he is committed to making it easy for you. No way. Doesn't mean to say this is an insurance policy against tests and trials and disappointments and heartache. No way. Because so often Christians believe that unless things are going well, 
Well, if things are not going well, God doesn't love them. I'll tell you something. Sometimes the best sign that God's, God is on your case is when you're going through some kind of test and you're feeling the squeeze, you're feeling the pinch. As somebody up there must love me. Look what I'm going through. Hallelujah, Jesus. Why? Because at such a time as this, we have the opportunity to trust God. I, I, I had some ideas of, of summarizing all of the Psalms, but that would make this message a bit too long. But just to give you a peek into that analysis, so often the Psalms are there to give you the desire to trust God, believe Him in all circumstances, to recognize the ultimate victory, no matter what circumstances are in your life, and also to give you the opportunity to express your heart to God, even during the difficult times. That's what the Psalms are all about in many, many ways. But when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, we are recognizing that my times are in His hands. His promises never fail. No one higher, no one more powerful, no one more authoritative. He is the all-powerful, almighty God. And this word for Lord is the very special word for the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's our best understanding of how that word might have been pronounced. But it's the sacred name for God, the covenant name for God. We were singing it early using that term, Yahweh. Often we fail to grasp exactly what the word means, but it means God's covenant faithfulness. God is the God who revealed himself as the great I am to Moses at the burning bush, saying, I am the God of your forefathers. I've heard your cry. I've heard, I've seen what's happening, and I have come down to rescue you. That's who he is, Yahweh, the God who is your Lord, your protector. It means also that God has a mind to do you good. It's made up. You are targeted for blessing. Can I have an amen in the house of God? It's the overflow of His love and benevolence, and it is made available to you at precisely your point of need. This is one size fits all. It's, all, it's so supernatural that when you take the name of the Lord and bow to that name, then God adapts His ministry to your circumstances in great detail. The one who has infinite knowledge of every detail of your life will minister to you at exactly your point of need. Tailor make His promise for you in that situation. That's what it means when you call Him Lord. And this is only accessible by faith. Now, I want to pause there and say, because this psalm is so widely read and widely sung, one of the most famous tunes, don't worry, I won't sing it for you today, and the musicians are taking a little bit of a break before I bring them back at the end of the service, to Crimond. That, you, you can imagine it, the law, I wasn't going to sing it anyway. That is one of the most famous tunes, and people sing it, and people who don't yet know Jesus derive great comfort from this, and I don't want to rob them of this blessing, because that's one of the ways that God draws people. But I want to tell you that this is an insider experience. If you can say the Lord is my shepherd, it means you've taken the Lord to be your shepherd. You've taken the Lord to be your Lord. And if you are in this service today, under the sound of my voice, wherever you are, and if you have never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord and shepherd of your life, you can do it now. Say, Lord, be my shepherd, be my Savior, be my Lord. I take you as my Savior. I take you as my Lord. I take you as my shepherd. Then from this moment onwards, whenever you read 
or rehearse Psalm 23, it'll be a totally different perspective. I really know now the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall want, not want, I shall lack nothing. So it's accessible by faith. You must personally appropriate it and grasp it by faith. So the Lord, he is God. And David says, my God is the Lord. But that God is also the shepherd. And this shepherd revelation, uh, I don't exaggerate, but it is probably or possibly one of the most revelatory images concerning the nature of God. In other words, this image of God being shepherd probably tells us more about God than any other title, except perhaps father. But he is the father shepherd, except perhaps king. He is the shepherd king. It all comes down to the shepherd heart of our God, the shepherd father, the one who cares with compassion, the shepherd ruler, all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good. And of course, all this points to Jesus, who is Lord and Shepherd. You know, if we were to say, think of some of the most um, telling descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament. Surely we would say he's Lord, he's Savior. But before long, high on that list will come to Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. Amen? John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The good shepherd, John 10, verse 10, comes to give life and on all its fullness and abundance. I know my sheep by name. He is the great shepherd of the sheep, the great bishop of our souls. And from that exalted place in heaven, he has raised up pastors and shepherds and overseers who are the under-shepherds submitting to the rulership and lordship of the great over-shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. So he is the chief shepherd who exercises his pastoral care and love through his under-shepherds in the body of Christ. That's why if you know him as shepherd, you will be in tight, connected relationship in local church. Believe me, this isn't about floating around one congregation here and there and everywhere, nowhere, but linking in with where God places you, and there you plug into the shepherdly care and blessings of the chief shepherd. Unplugged, God isn't going to throw you into hell, I tell you that, of course not, he's going to love you anyway, but you'll be like the sheep wandering in the wilderness, lost, you will not have what God wants you to have in its fullness. So the way to plug in, to connect with the shepherdly blessing of Jesus Christ is to be deeply connected within the body of Christ, wherever he places you. And in this church, we structure our pastoral care and delegate so much of it through the cell vision so that your first pastoral line of, of contact is your cell leader. And we train them and we help them. It is an enormous job to be a cell leader. It is, it's, it's just like being the pastor of a church. Just because you have 8, 10, 12 people in your cell doesn't mean to say that job is not as worthwhile as people who are leading large numbers of people. So cell leaders receive fresh anointing for the job that God has given to you. And cell members, you plug in to that shepherdly care. So uh, here we have this wonderful truth to declare. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And uh, then it comes to what appears to be the second part. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. However, ladies and gentlemen, there's a bit in between, and it's implied. Actually, there are three statements here. We've got one assertion followed by another assertion, which is implied, it's implicit. One assertion followed by another one, and a conclusion. So, statement number one, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, bit in the middle, I'll come back to that, blank. Third part, therefore I shall not want. What's that middle bit? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> you see, this is Holy Spirit logic. This is divine logic. If you understand that Jesus is your Lord, Jesus, the Lord of all, the head of all things, the one who is Lord by nature, who says, before Abraham was, I am. There's Jesus' open claim to be God manifested in the flesh. He used the divine name of himself, which would be blasphemy if he were not God manifested in the flesh. Amen. He is Lord by nature, but also he is Lord by exaltation because he came and suffered and died on the cross, was buried and was raised again from the dead. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Amen. That's why Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He has all authority given in heaven and earth and under the earth. When you understand his lordship, you understand his ability, his power. Nothing is impossible with him. Nothing outside of his capacity to bless you. Our God is able. Nothing's impossible with him. There is nothing that he cannot do. Nothing is too hard for him. He is the all-powerful God, but there is more. Not only is he all-powerful, but he's all-loving. We know that God can do anything, and God can do all things. The trouble is we're not so sure he wants to. But when we know that this all-loving, all-powerful God carries both these characteristics, then you'll know not only is he able, but he's also willing. He wants to bless you. He is the shepherd. He is the shepherd. Isn't it wonderful to know that the person seated on the throne of the universe who has more authority than any politician, past, present, or still to come. More authority. All authority. That that one, all powerful, all powerful, is a loving shepherd. Your loving heavenly father. Oh, that makes me feel happy to and safe and secure that even though things look messed up and things get messed up and maybe they're going to get even more messed up before Jesus returns, but we know our shepherd is coming back and not one of his sheep will be lost. Not one. Amen and amen. So you get the middle bit now. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. Shepherds look after their sheep. He has the power, the authority, the ability to do that. Therefore, 
I will lack nothing. Amen. Give Jesus a big praise. That, that's a good point. A good point to do it. A good point to do it right there. Amen. Okay, so now what I want to do, uh, there's so many things to talk about in this psalm, but I'm going to just deal with verse 1, dip into a few other verses. I want to unpack what it means to know Jesus as your shepherd. That's what I want to do. And for this, I'm going to sneak over into Ezekiel chapter 34. So turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. It'll come up on the screen. And um, verse 31 at the end will be my starting point. God is making a declaration saying, You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men and I am your God, says the Lord. That's another way of saying the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is a powerful image. And um, at some stage, maybe later on today, make a little note of this. I haven't time to look into it now, but I'll just give you a little taster. If you go to Isaiah chapter 40, you see both the lordship and the kingship of God and his shepherdly nature combined. This gentle picture, this image, Isaiah 40, for example, verse 11. In this most beautiful passage of Isaiah, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The ewes, the pregnant ewes or the ewes with the little lambs. You can't get a more tender, intimate, personal, loving, nurturing image. That's verse 11. Then we go into verse 12. And what does it say? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Saying this shepherd king is all powerful. So we have this great image of omnipotence and infinite care all rolled into one. Well, that's Isaiah 40, but we're in Ezekiel 34. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 34, verse 23, and here it is, this definitive statement. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, obviously, this is mentioning David, but you need to know that this is many hundreds of years after David lived and died. So what's happening here? When God raised up David, he, it was like a model, a pattern for Messiah. David was this picture of Messiah. David's kingship was a picture of of the Messiahship was to come. That's why the kingdom of David is going to go on forever. Because God said, I myself am going to intervene and get rid of all those wasting time shepherds who would care only for their own needs. I'm going to raise up my shepherd for them. And his name is David, which prophetically is a reference to Jesus. In his resurrection, he was raised and sat down upon the throne of his father, David. So this is messianic. It's a picture of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Christ, the good shepherd. 
and we surrender to Him, and He leads us. So now we've got it all, everything's in place. Let's have a look at the benefits that flow to us from the shepherdly ministry of our great God and Savior and great King. Verse 25 is the first little cluster of them. Verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Now this isn't a hint as to where you're going to find your next accommodation, shepherd's bush or something like that. This is just drawing on this pastoral image where we are his flock. And so he says, I'm going to make you dwell in safety. I'm going to give you a place where you can rest and sleep and be with me in peace. And so the, the blessings that flow here are peace, safety, and security. Don't we need that today? When you are walking with Jesus, he's taking care of your life. You will have peace. The shalom of God, the peace of God will rule in your heart. You will have peace. You will have safety and security because God is taking care of you. That's what it means to walk with a good shepherd. Verse 26. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. That's wonderful. Again, the pastoral image. Because in the uh, agricultural year in Israel, there are two rains which are very significant for the well-being of the whole of the nation. The early and the latter rains. And the early rains are the rains that ripen the, the harvest just before, um, uh, prepare the soil for the planting, and the other rains are the rains that ripen the harvest. So these are showers of blessing. So the idea of God pouring out His Spirit of showers, you know, rainfall being a picture of God's blessing, was tied to the agricultural society, what they needed in those days. But it's still a very telling blessing. We still need those showers today, even in Britain, where, you know, because we know we get our food from the supermarket, but it's had to be somewhere else before, some farm somewhere, which we never see here in London. The only farmland we see is a bit of dirt that gathers under the dust in, in front of our houses. But anyway, God bless us all the same. We depend on those showers of blessing. But look what he says. Not only will you get a blessing, but you will be a blessing. I will make them and all the places around my hill a blessing. I will make them a blessing. That's when you know you are really blessed by God. When you have so much that you can be a blessing. That you are a blessing. Not just have a blessing. You are a blessing. And that perhaps is the best blessing of all. So showers of blessing are coming into your life as you walk and surrender. Walk with your shepherd king and surrender to his authority in your life. Verse 27. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. You can see where I'm going with this. And the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken 
the bands off their, of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. So here there's two things, fruitfulness and freedom. Fruitfulness and freedom. And uh, he says, God, God says, this shepherd is going to make sure you're fruitful, that you bear fruit. And, um, you know, he leads me beside still waters uh, and, and so on. He restores my soul. He brings me into a place of comfort and blessing where there is provision and abundance. God is going to make you fruitful as you walk with your Savior, as you walk with your shepherd and allow his ministry to come into your life. And as you yield to his lordship, so it is activated in your life. But not just fruitfulness, but also freedom. Heavy yokes are going to be broken. Heavy bands of yokes are going to be broken. Deliverance is coming your way. Amen and amen. Whatever you're going through, deliverance is coming your way because you have been saved to be free, to live free. This is the theme of our Living Free program. It is still taking place Tuesday by Tuesday where we learn how to enter the freedom in the spirit that God has given to us so that we can live lives free from sin, free from bondage, and enjoy His presence. Verse 28. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. But they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I like this. This is protection and freedom from fear. Protection. We need the protection of the Lord. We need God the knowledge that God is taking care of our lives. He is keeping us. He is protecting us. And we need to depend on Him for that. It's anywhere, really, but especially when we live in a big city. Protection. God is going to keep us from, from uh, attacks, spiritual, physical. He protects us. Testimony after testimony of God's hand has been on people. Somebody was recently knocked down by a, by a motorcycle, broke their leg, right on hand. People prayed for them. And the, the two um, 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 radiographs, what are they called, x-rays, show before and after prayer, God knitted those bones together. And not having a big cast, just something to support the leg. Even when bad things happen, God is right there to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. I don't know what you're worried about. Let me tell you, in the name of Jesus, God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of you. The protection of the Lord is on you. The angel of the Lord is camped around those who fear him. Amen and amen. And freedom from fear. Fear is a terrible thing. It's negative and debilitating. It's degrading. And fear and intimidation are the two great tactics of the devil. He wants to intimidate you into silence. All the pressure, anything but Christian, the ABC philosophy of our modern society. ABC, anything but Christian is allowed out there. And when a Christian stands and makes a Christian point of view, wow, you watch the demons manifest. And there is this spirit of intimidation. Do not be intimidated by the devil. Be bold because the Lord is your shepherd. Amen. He's going to deliver you from fear. That's the single greatest thing that prevents you from speaking up for Jesus Christ. In your office, you may be the only light shining in that office. Make sure your light shines. Don't hold back. Be wise. Don't be stupid. Be wise. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't want to have loads of complaints and people saying, your people are a nuisance. No, I want to say, who 
what is this church? The people that come to this church are a blessing. Send me more. Send me more, they will ask me. And I'll say, yeah, there's plenty more where that came from because we are God's people. We are God's sheep and we are under his protection and he set us free from fear. Verse 29. I'll raise up for them a garden of renown and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. This is talking about honor amongst the people and provision. Let me focus in on this. It's very interesting how here God links the absence of hunger with the absence of shame. Interesting. And what this is basically doing is showing that it doesn't bring God glory when we go about in lack. When we have abundance, it brings Him glory. Okay? That's what He's saying here. And I think there is a shame that is on the body of Christ that God wants to lift. That's the shame of poverty and lack. This isn't about your personal comfort. This isn't about you getting rich quick. This is about God demonstrating to the world that he is your provider. Letting the world know through your life, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. So if there's lack in your life and hunger, which is a picture of lack, Lay hold of your good shepherd and say, feed me till I want no more. Come bread of heaven, lead me beside those still pastures, those quiet waters. In pastures green he leadeth me. Come on people of God, let's rise up and shake off this spirit of shame. There is provision for God's house. Whatever we want to do, we have the money to do it. I say by faith. Amen. Amen. We have money for our need, not our greed. We have provision for vision, not personal, not personal ideas. Amen and amen. And this is the kind of shame that God wants to sh us to shake off and rise up and demonstrate to the world that our God is a provider, supernaturally providing for our every need. That's what happens when you walk with Him as shepherd. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Amen. Now finally, verses 30 to 31. Thus... They shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. Two things I see here. The greatest blessing of all in these two things. Number one, God's presence. And number two, the fact that we belong to him. If we're God's people, we're special people. Amen. And he says, I am your God. You are my people. And the heart of God's covenant promise is his presence. I will dwell among them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. And this puts all of the other promises into perspective. All of the other promises. Because they all flow out from the presence of the Lord. That's why here, and we're going to finish with a song of worship, that's why in Kensington Temple, I want you to be the best worshipers in London. Because worship brings His presence. Be the best worshipers. Don't be lazy worshipers. Be active. Come filled with the Spirit. Grab hold of every word that 
the singers and songwriters, not just the, our ones here, they do an excellent job, but all the songs that we learn for God is given to other people, we take them and we bring them to the Lord because where God is lifted up, His presence comes. And when we are in His presence, everything else fades away. This isn't escapism. This is reality. Because when we're in His presence, worshiping Him in spirit and truth, and enjoying His presence and walking in His presence, we have everything we need. Because when it says, He leads me, it means He's with me. And we're following Him. We're sticking close to Him. Because where He is, there's joy. Where He is, there's provision. Where He is, there's protection, deliverance. All flowing out of His wonderful presence. Amen and amen. Amen.